play and stay on Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. Stand up paddleboarding, hiking, great restaurants and breweries. I'll tell you more about your next vacation destination later in the show. is your last meal. I'm your host, Rachel Bell, and each episode I interview a celebrity about what they would choose for their last meal. Then we explore the history of that food, the culture, and whatever else we can cram into 30 minutes. Today on the program... Oh my God, Becky, look at her butt. It is so big. She looks like one of those rap guy's girlfriends. Sir Mix-a-Lot. I like big butts and I cannot lie. What do people call you, Mister A Lot? Do you say Sir? Like, what do what do people call you casually? Uh, I, all I recommend is they just don't call me a hole. You can call me anything else, but I'll, I'll say most people just say mix. We will also learn the difference between Creole and Cajun cuisine, which is packed with so much history, and we will learn from the best Louisiana chef and culinary scholar John Fulce. So I was born in the swamp lands of Louisiana on the. Uh, Mississippi River, and I've lived about 30 miles from where I was born throughout my career. I figured there's no better place to cook than here anyway, so why move, right? (laughs) So this year, this May, to be exact, is the 25th anniversary of Baby Got Back. That is a crazy fact. I'm sure a lot of people remember where they were when the song came out. Maybe it was like a middle school dance for you or a high school dance, or maybe that song played at your wedding. First, let's talk about the anniversary of Baby Got Back. So May 7th, 1992 is when that single came out. Tell the story of where that song came from. I know it's from the girl that you were dating at the time. It's based on her body. Is that right? No. No? No, that's a, no, that's a story she likes to tell. But actually, um, Baby Got Back was written because of, I, I was I was in a hotel room and the Super Bowl was on. And back in that era, you had the Spud McKenzie girls, right, which were Basically, they were shaped like stop signs, you know, just just a rail with a head. And it just seemed like in that era, there was no multicultural beauty. If you were a beautiful black woman, you had to assimilate to white culture. Right. So the only black women you saw on TV, other than Claire Huxtable, obviously, they played maids, usually heavy set, and they offered great advice, um, prostitutes, things of that sort. And I got sick of it. I wanted to talk about the African-American idea of what beauty was. So I'm like, how do I do that without coming off serious? Because if you come off too serious, you turn people off. Keep in mind, in that era, what I was wanting to say was not cool. I mean, I was watching Eddie Murphy doing movies dissing black girls' bodies. You don't want gluteus maximus, you want gluteus minimus. You remember that? Or in layman's terms, an extremely tight, wonderful ass. Let's get a big round of applause for the woman with the nice ass, huh? And I was like... I do to say that, you know, we like the hourglass shape. And um, so I decided to write it and make it kind of tongue in cheek. And eventually people would get it if it hit. But I never thought it would hit tongue and butt cheek. Yeah. yeah. Well, don't don't get kinky now. Sorry. Just a quick note. Going back to the woman that Mix was dating at the time when the song came out. Uh, she was an actress and a model and she did voices. So it was actually her voice at the beginning of the song. Who understands those rap guys? <laughs> What I'm about to tell you is a little hard to imagine because music videos got raunchy a long time ago. But when Baby Got Back came out, it was so risque at that time that it was banned from MTV. Requested video then. It was number one when they decided to ban it. 
which I thought was a bad thing, but it ended up being a great thing. Were you proud that you got banned from MTV? Not initially. I, 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 mean, I was. I, I start. I was in a meeting. I never will forget this with Polygram, and we were talking about just publishing stuff. And then one person at the table goes. Keep in mind, this is when everybody didn't have a cell phone. There's like one cell phone at the table, and that guy was paying like three dollars a minute. So one lady looks over from Polygram. She goes, "So how does it feel?" I said, "How does what feel? How does it feel to be banned by MTV?" I'm like, what did I get banned for? Uh, baby got back. It's no longer played. I'm like, what? <laughs> I almost started crying. No, my career's over. That's what I thought. And um, then my publicist called me, Heidi Robinson. I love her. She said, Mix, don't worry about this. This is great. Think of it like this. You are now Elvis Presley, and you just shook your leg one too many times on the Ed Sullivan show. And I'm like, huh? And then I thought, wait a minute. I am now the forbidden fruit. And what I, one thing I noticed, because I'm a big music history buff, anytime an artist offends the norm, those people who are kids then love them forever. Right. Ask the Rolling Stones, ask the Beatles, ask Jimi Hendrix. Um, it never stops. I'm like, I'm not saying I'm in their class, but. It, it it definitely gave the song legs that it otherwise wouldn't have had. So when the song came out, a lot of people were offended, but were there a lot of black women that were so happy to hear this kind of anthem? Yeah, here's what's weird about it. Now, this has made me kind of think about what is sexist because the people who accused me of creating this sexist song and were telling me this is not what women wanted to hear were men. Huh. It were the men in the establishment, so men at MTV, men in various companies, men at radio stations. Women... White, black, that's what blew my mind. Every, every woman was like, about time. Thank you. I do. I no longer have to wear this sweater around my waist because I'm ashamed of. And, you know, it's cracking because nobody calls Serena Williams fat. Nah, I wouldn't. I mean, that, that chick will drop down and do push-ups all the way around me, right? So, <laughs> you know, nowadays it's, it's the norm. But back then, they would have called Serena Williams, who was rock solid muscle they would have said oh that's fat right but they would have called a girl with a smaller butt who couldn't tighten it up they would call her in shape which was really weird now i I was um protested against in nebraska at a college and it was all women and i asked to debate them i wanted to talk about it i wanted to bring it on before i actually performed there right one of them said something that was absolutely true. She said, you know, but you reduced a woman to a body part. We understand what you're trying to do, but you reduced a woman to a body part. I said, well, understand the business I'm in and then ask yourself this question. Would baby got brains have done well? <laughs> right. And, and so I and I think they got it, although they didn't yeah. really support the way I delivered the message. They understood that the message was important and they backed off. They didn't. They did. As a matter of fact, a few of them came to the show. I mean, you have to be honest. When you're in a relationship with somebody, of course you want to be recognized for your brains, but you also want to be told that you're sexy and you're pretty yeah. and that the person you're dating likes your body. I mean, you can't avoid and sexuality. guys too. Guys too. I, I, yeah. I'm on this diet now. I'm down totally. 21 pounds. And it's like, even a guy can tell me, uh, dude, your shirt's way too big. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm the worst person to do this interview because I have such a small butt. I like baby got no back at all. So please forgive that I'm the one doing this right nah, now. But you're gorgeous. Oh, thank you. And just uh, so you guys know, if you ever meet her, she hugs. I do. Yes. I hugged you when I met you. I love huggers. <laughs> uh, and you smell also, good too. Thank you. So let's talk about the biggest butt of all, which is the 50 foot 
tall yellow butt on the set of the Baby Got Back video. So you show yeah. up on this set. What are your thoughts when you get there, when you see how the women are dressed, how the set is set? It was problems. When I, when I walked in, man, I'm going to tell you right now. I, I had an idea. I wanted the girl at the start of the video. She had to be on a pedestal. I wanted to send these real, I wanted people to see African-American women in a different light. That was the whole idea. It's like, so I walk in and the girl, her name was Shireen. She, her name is now Amon. Amon standing there in some white and black tiger print shorts, skin tight, a big fake ass gold chain, bright red kind of blazer tied off so her stomach was all out and some like $6 hooker pumps. I'm like, who in the hell did this? Well, we we thought that's that's what you meant, and it at the time I was still pretty street, you know what I mean. So I'm, I'm I wanted to go off on the guy, but then I realized that's ignorance. He he has no idea what I'm talking about. So they created a stereotypical idea of what a yeah. rap video would look yeah, like. Yeah, another like I said, the only girls you saw maids and hoes, and he figured, oh, he wants hookers. I got you. We'll go no. ho. Right, exactly. So I said, no, that's it. I I shut the sit down. We went to the mall. And we got her some nice stuff. We got that pedestal. And I said, no matter what, I want everybody looking at this girl to be looking up, not equal. The guys, girls, whoever's talking, we all had to look up. And it was real subtle stuff. But people, some people got it. Some people didn't get it. But it was very important for me to have that woman on that pedestal look nice. Show her physique tastefully and don't insinuate that she's some kind of hoe. And if you listen to the lyrics and Baby Got Back, I never got her. If you listen to the words, I'm chasing and I'm thinking about sticking, but I couldn't get her. And that's the whole idea. She was unobtainable. I couldn't quite reach her, which took her away from being a maid and a prostitute to being something that more men really desired and couldn't quite get. Let's talk about your last meal. And I'd like to say, I'd like to preface by saying, since it's your last meal, I don't think that you should be on a diet for it, but it's your choice, whatever you want. My last meal, like ever? Yeah, your last so when meal I, When ever. I'm 114? That's right. What would you choose to eat? Oh, I already know. Um, it's going to be a lot of food now. Get ready. I'm ready. Crawfish etouffee, and it's got to be cream-based. I don't like the pepper stuff. Um, then I want from Papado's. I love Papado's. I want the Texas Redfish Poncha Train. Lord, that's some good food. What is that? It's like this. It's, it's better than catfish. Catfish is mushy, especially a big catfish. is kind of mushy. But a Texas redfish is like a lean, good, flaky catfish. And then the Pontchartrain sauce with the with the andouille sausages and the dirty rice. Oh, my goodness. Yes. But I'm not done. Okay. <laughs> you will walk in Papa Do's. The first time I ever went, that was back in the 80s, we had a, this thing called a full boat sandwich. Oh, my God. It's like they take a loaf of sweet bread and they gut it and they fill it with fried shrimp crawfish, oysters. Oh. Just empty out the sea and pour it in this loaf of bread. That's my thing. So my last meal, also, from the last meal, I got to have dessert. I need to have bread pudding made correctly. I don't like light stuff. Don't make mine with margarine. I want butter. Yes, butter. So I got to have bread pudding. I won't eat it all, but I'll try. Also, I want some pecan pie. Got to have my pecan pie. I want macaroni and cheese. Here we go. Keep going. I make macaroni and cheese. You do. Yeah, macaroni and cheese do not make mine with mild cheese, and I don't do crap if it comes in a pot. I won't eat it. It's also got to be in a casserole dish. Let's see. What else? Oh, yeah, and water. And water. That's your beverage of choice. Yeah, that's last meal. That's checking out. I mean, I ain't going to eat it all, but, boy, I'll go out passing gas for at least three days. <laughs>
Love it. I love your enthusiasm about food. Did you grow yeah. up in a family that loved to eat? You, you know, it's funny. My my mom is not a great cook. My dad, God rest his soul, that man. Let me tell you, cooks that brag, remember I said this, cannot cook. Anytime you hear a cook say, boy, let me tell you, and they always try to use a fake country accent when they talk about barbecue. Boy, let me tell you, y'all taste them damn ribs. I thought, shut up. <laughs> man, my dad would make prime rib. And he'd start at like three in the morning and he'd smoke it all day long over fruit wood. He never used like, he used a little mesquite for the heat, but he always used apple or cherry, which gave it a different flavor. And he also, he did another thing. He would take a stick and run through the prime rib. Huh. And he'd stuff it with garlic and onions. And then before you eat it, he'd take all that out. And the crust on it was insanely, he loved seasoning, right? But he puts this prime rib down and he never would brag. Hey, sport. You guys call me sport. Hey, sport. Hope you like this thing. Uh, I started at three in the morning, man. And you could literally, I'd say, well, dad, you know, I like it when you cut the first piece. He would cut the first, and he always did this. It was like his weird way of bragging. He'd take a knife, no fork, and just use his right hand by itself and go. Say, oh, my God. He cut it with one hand. You know it's good. <laughs> I've decided that I want to be there when Sir Mix-a-Lot has his last meal. He is so enthusiastic about food. He is so damn excited about everything that he eats. I feel like he would eat his last meal and then he'd live another hundred years because it would fuel him with the excitement that he has over the choices he made. And since Sir Mix-a-Lot came up with a laundry list of items he wanted to eat for his last meal, we're just going to narrow in on one dish, a dish I had never heard of before. So perhaps the dish is a mystery to you as well. We're just going to take a quick break. And when we come back, more Sir Mix-a-Lot. Plus, you're going to be introduced to Papado's, the restaurant that makes Sir Mix-a-Lot's beloved Texas redfish train, a restaurant that is a muse of many rap artists, I learned. Thank you, Google. Uh, we will play you a montage of Papado rap when we come back. Hey, that was a rhyme. <laughs> If you're a fan of naturally gorgeous, off-the-beaten-path vacation spots with small-town charm, you're going to want to plan a visit to Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, where you can grab a scoop of homemade ice cream and stroll around the adorable European seaside village of Paulsbow, or walk on the ferry in Seattle and get off in downtown Bainbridge Island. And May is the perfect month to visit Bremerton or Silverdale, where you can get out of the city and into the forest in just 15 minutes for a beautiful hike. Enjoy a farm-to-table meal at Bremerton's Restaurant Lola, a Black-owned business. I really need to make the trip out there for their Creole brunch. And in the morning, stop by Saboteur Bakery for croissants that are so flaky and buttery, you'll think you're in Paris. There's also a gorgeous golf course in the middle of the forest, and there are several naval museums in Bremerton. Go to visitkitsap.com slash yourlastmeal to learn more. That's K-I-T-S-A-P. Or you can find a link in the show notes. Play and stay on the Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. Today, we're talking with Sir Mix-a-Lot, a.k.a. Anthony, a.k.a. Mix. And Mix loves the Houston-based chain restaurant Papado's so much even mentioned them in his song Jump On It. Can you take us out the Papados? And, and a quick internet search revealed that many rap and hip hop artists mentioned Papados in their lyrics. Crook and Porter. Derek Minor. David Banner featuring Lil Flip. You can catch us at Papados, eat steak and shrimp. 
Uzi. Uzi, badass. Don't wanna hurt mama, no. Don't wanna eat slob no more. I wanna eat Papa dough. Try to get the food. And Young Jeezy. Oh, for the gang of hoes, get the Papa dough. sitting on the for his last meal, Mick says he wants Papado's Texas Redfish Poncha Train. My name is Georgia Pappas. I work as a, a manager on our culinary research and development team. We have about seven different concepts, and Papado is our biggest, and it is our Cajun seafood restaurant. So Georgia is the daughter of one of Papado's founders. The restaurant was actually started by two Greek-American brothers who ended up cooking Louisiana food. We have over 35 Papado locations. We are in Houston, Dallas, Austin. We're all over Texas, Georgia, right outside of Chicago, Albuquerque, Phoenix. We're in Colorado. And are you guys in Louisiana? No, we are not. Oh, you're not. That's so interesting. Okay. Because yeah, we are actually not in Louisiana anywhere. We're very close. So let's talk about Texas redfish poncha train. That's a dish that I never heard about until Sir Mix-a-Lot said it. Uh, Yeah. What is this dish? (laughs) Well, you know, it is unique to Papados. And this item is something that's been on our menu since the very beginning. There are classic like Pontchartrain sauces that are in New Orleans, but this is definitely kind of our spin on it. And what it is, it's um, we use redfish because it is so fresh and Gulf Coast redfish is what we do. We do use our blackening spices, but not super heavily. Then the sauce that goes on it is um, we start with a brown butter, which I mean, just that alone I love. Yeah, it has like a little bit of that lemon juice in it, like a classic French style Bernosette. And then we actually um, add some cream and white wine and a little more butter. It makes a creamy brown butter sauce. And we toss some crab in it. We use jumbo lump crab and some Gulf shrimp. And so this becomes our sauce. And that's what we put over the top of the gently blackened um, redfish. It's funny, I was talking to a friend who's from Louisiana, and I was asking about mm-hmm. this, and he said, Texas redfish, Pontchartrain, it's not from <laughs> Texas. He said, that's a river in Louisiana. You must be talking about Papados. And he knew immediately oh that yeah. that dish is your dish. Yes, I mean, it's unique. Now, this is just the beginning of my journey to understand the Pontchartrain sauce. So if you're yelling at your phone right now, frustrated that I called it a river because it's actually a lake, you are correct. It is named after Lake Pontchartrain. So Texas redfish Pontchartrain is decidedly a Papado's dish, but redfish Pontchartrain minus the Texas is a dish that comes from Louisiana, as does Poppy Tooker. Yes, that is a real person's name. It's probably the best name I've ever heard. Uh, Poppy Tooker is a renowned Louisiana chef, TV and radio host, and cookbook author. Her syndicated NPR show and her cookbook are both called Louisiana Eats. I just want to keep saying Poppy Tooker. (laughs) And I also want to mention that my cat's name is Poppy. And so while I was interviewing human Poppy, I pretended I was interviewing my cat. If you're curious as to why I'm in therapy. Redfish Pontchartrain is a dish that was invented at Arno's restaurant by the second owner of Arno's, Archie Kasparian, who acquired this old, revered Creole restaurant that's in New Orleans French Quarter in 1979. And what it really is, is a simple piece of fish, red fish or something else delicious from the Gulf, either sautéed or grilled and topped with a lot of butter and a lot of crab meat. How could that be bad? Is that something that you'll find at a lot of restaurants? You know, honestly not. It's not a dish that I see on menus here a lot. However, I knew Archie Kasparian. I'm a frequent diner at Arno's, and that is where the dish originated. 
Do you like that dish? Oh, God, what's not to like about it? You know, I mean, really, take enough uh, big, gorgeous gulf lump crab meat and toss it around in some butter to warm it up, and I imagine you could eat that on anything. So Pontchartrain sauce made classically outside of Papado's and Arno's is actually a completely different beast with a much deeper history. And we're going to learn this history with John Fulce. This is a man who knows Louisiana culinary history probably better than anybody else in this country. Fulce spent seven years writing this massive tome of a cookbook called the Encyclopedia of Cajun and Creole Cuisine. He also hosts the PBS show A Taste of Louisiana. He has a culinary radio program. He owns several restaurants, a catering company. He even has his name on a culinary school. Pontchartrain was a sauce that was named after the great Lake Pontchartrain, which uh, connects the Gulf of Mexico to Lake Maurepas, which is uh, the swampland. And Lake Pontchartrain was named after Count Pontchartrain when the Duke d'Orléans decided to put the flag of France to found the city of New Orleans. Count Pontchartrain was the financier. And so they named this beautiful, gigantic freshwater lake after Count Pontchartrain. Uh, So there were a lot of dishes named after Pontchartrain because of that. Uh, They had soufflés Pontchartrain, they had uh, soups and gumbos named after Pontchartrain, and of course there were sauces named after Pontchartrain. So when we talk about the origin of Pontchartrain, my God, that's a That's like talking about the origin of the stars in the sky. There's just so many options to talk about. But if I was to say the one that most chefs are familiar with, if you lived in New Orleans, uh, you would probably do the classic French Pontchartrain sauce that was created at the hand of the African-American cooks, many of them trained in France, by the way, by the slave owners who sent them to France for study and then brought them back to Louisiana to have their kitchens in the great mansions along the Mississippi River. So when, if you would ask me just off the top of my hat, John, describe a Pontchartrain sauce, I would say, well, it's a white wine-based fish stock sauce with mushrooms made with butter, a lot of garlic flavor, green onions to finish it off, and always shrimp. That's what I would say, uh, because that is the classic Pontchartrain sauce. Now, every chef in New Orleans, realizing the importance of the Pontchartrain sauce, wanted to differentiate themselves from one chef to another. And from there, they went on to create a thousand different seafood-based sauces. Even the base of etouffee is in many ways, a Pontchartrain sauce. Something that I hadn't thought about, which was explained to me by both Poppy and John, is that Louisiana cuisine is one of the oldest and truest American foods. We all know that uh, we have a melting pot here in America, and a lot of people consider pizza to be American food or hot dogs and hamburgers. Uh, Those foods came from other countries, but there are dishes in Louisiana like gumbo and jambalaya and crawfish etouffee that really were invented on Louisiana soil hundreds of years ago, making it one of the few true American foods. It was entirely created here, and it was created by the Seven Nations originally, where you had the Native Americans, and you had the Africans, and you had the French, and the Spanish, and the Sicilians, and the Germans, and the British even made some contributions, and this is just one big melting pot, and everything that comes out of the pot is delicious. 
I have to admit, before I started researching for this episode, I did not know the difference between Creole and Cajun cuisine or culture in Louisiana. And we will get into that after this quick break. listening to your last meal, you might like watching my new TV show, The Nosh with Rachel Bell. We just wrapped up season one, so there are four tasty episodes ready for you to binge at CascadePBS.org. In episode one, I convince an East Coast skeptic that Seattle now has fantastic bagels. And in the season finale, we go truffle hunting just about an hour outside of Seattle. Episodes are a quick bite just eight and a half minutes long. So grab a snack and cozy up with the nosh available anytime, anywhere at cascadepbs.org or find a link in the show notes. Welcome back to Sir Mix-a-Lot's Last Meal. Now, I'm sure you can probably name me a handful of classic Louisiana or New Orleans dishes. There's gumbo, there's jambalaya, we know what these dishes are, but could you tell me if they are Creole or Cajun? Well, before I started researching this episode, I could not have told you. I didn't know the difference between Creole and Cajun food or their culture, Uh, but John Fulce, he knows all about that, and he's going to enlighten us on two of the oldest cultures in the United States. When we speak about Cajun, we're talking about the very simple country food of the French trappers and the French farmers that arrived from Nova Scotia, Canada, after the great expulsion by the British in 1755. And they moved into the swamplands of Louisiana. When I talk about Cajun as a group of people, very simplistic, very family-oriented, Uh, swamp dwellers. They never went to the city. They lived in the swamplands. Their children were expected to follow in their footsteps for generations. They were French-speaking, and their food tended to be one-pot meals. They weren't extravagant in their cooking. If they killed a rabbit, it went into the pot. It was cooked possibly with uh, rice into something that would be similar to a jambalaya or a paella, stick-to-your-rib type dish. I come from the Cajun culture. My father was a French trapper. He lived in the swamps from uh, November until Trapper's Christmas, which was February the 25th, when he came out of the swamps with the pelts to sell to the Jewish uh, merchants who were there to buy the furs of the Acadian trappers. And we had a creed amongst the trappers that whatever animal you trapped, you cooked and you ate. These exotic animals of the swamplands of Louisiana, raccoon, muskrat, alligator, would have all gone into the pot of us uh, uh, Cajun trappers. Creole is the aristocratic Europeans who came from Spain and France and Germany and Italy. They arrived here with um, many of them with wealth. They were carpenters, musicians, doctors, engineers, artists. Uh, Their foods tended to be extravagant. They had the Port of New Orleans available to them. Uh, So the Port of New Orleans and ships coming from their home countries, whether it was Germany or France or Italy or Spain, whatever, uh, could bring the ingredients that were recognizable from home. Whereas the Cajun trappers of the swamps of Louisiana were eating things off of the trees uh, given to them at the hands of the Native American Indians who befriended them and uh, cohabitated quite a bit with the Acadians. 
and showed them how to live in the wetlands in the swamps of Louisiana. So when you look, talk about Cajun and Creole, they probably never met each other in those early days. Uh, one was trying to struggle out this hard living in the swamp, clearing land and setting trap lines. And uh, the Creoles were dressing up to go to opera houses that they were building and their food tended to be multi-course, whereas the Cajuns tended to be one-pot meals. No wine in Cajun cooking, unless it was a wine that was created out of the swamplands with the berries and fruits that grew on the trees in the swamps, whereas wine was being imported by barrels in New Orleans for the Creoles. So these two cultures were very dependent on each other. The Creoles needed the Cajuns for food and exotic materials. Uh, and the Cajuns needed the Creoles to buy their goods. So that was the only interaction between these two, and they were about 70 miles apart. So what we've learned here today is that Pontchartrain and crawfish étouffée, which is one of Mix's other last meal dishes, are both Creole dishes. That is because they're not one-pot meals. They both involve a sauce, and they involve ingredients that are not found in the swamplands. Back with Sir Mix-a-Lot. This man loves three things. Actually, I'm sure he loves probably hundreds of things. He's an optimistic man. He loves. Uh, but three things he loves is music, food, and cars. I know that you really like cars. Do you have many ooh, cars? Ooh, I love cars. You love cars. And yes. when I've tried to get a hold of you, you're always driving somewhere. You're in another state and you're driving around. Yep. Do you not fly? I do not fly. I stopped flying like 95. Are you afraid of flying? Now I kind of am. Mick says he had a really scary flight experience, one that involved orange juice, but we don't need to get into that. Uh, And he pretty much hasn't flown since. He drives himself across the country. So I asked him about his go-to road trip snacks. That's easy for me because I drive a lot. Now, this is before I started trying to lose this weight. My car snacks were always, always good, fresh, soft cookies. Oh, Oh, my goodness. I'm not talking about these nasty cookies that are soft because somebody put preservatives in them and they got a picture of somebody's grandma. I'm talking about them Otis Spunkmeyers. You know when you walk in a truck stop and you can smell them from outside? The fresh baked. Yeah, you know when you buy three and you pump the gas and you be like, I better go back and get six more for the road. <laughs> That's my problem. I, I realize cookies for me are like cocaine. Yeah. So I just said, leave them alone. Don't even touch them. Have you ever chopped up an Otis Spunkmeyer and snorted it? I I could. (laughs) I could. I can eat them things with no hands, man. And Mix will be on the road this fall. He's going to be driving around doing a little mini tour. uh, And no doubt he will be performing Baby Got Back. I love your relationship to the song because a lot of people get tired of doing the same song that was popular for so many years. uh, And you love this song still, right? Not only do I love it, I'm a fan. And I remember... You know, I'll give you an example. I'm a big Gary Newman fan, right? From back in the back in the late 70s, I got into Gary Newman. I just loved the electronic stuff. Well, obviously, you want to hear cars. You want to hear metal, I Die, You Die, Our Friends Electric, you know, down in the park. And he shows up, and he does all these new tracks, and then he does cars and metal back-to-back. Then he does new tracks all the way out. And, I mean, when he left, you could have heard crickets. Nobody was booing him. Everybody's like, is he going to come back out? Is there an encore? And I never will forget how that felt. So I understand why people pay to see me. I have no illusions of grandeur there. I just walk in. I give them a 10 to 15 minute version of Baby Got Back. And when I do it, I'm not just, I'm not sitting there with 
yellow tape around me. I will jump off in the crowd, walk through the crowd, no security, and perform the song, let people, other people rap it. I bring girls on stage, everything, because you're lucky to still be in the game at this point, especially the way the game has changed as far as how, how artists are marketed. So I'm lucky to be around, so I appreciate it. And that is Sir Mix-a-Lot's last meal. This May is the 25th anniversary of his iconic song, Baby Got Back. Like I mentioned, he'll be on tour in September and October. You can check SirMixalot.com for tour dates. Thanks to Georgia Pappas, manager of the Pappas Culinary Research and Development Team and daughter of Papado founder Chris Pappas. Thank you to Louisiana Eats Poppy Tooker, best name in the world. Second to my friend, Yoko Feynman. I've always told her she has the best name in the world. Hi, Yoko. Uh, thanks also to John Fulce. Pick up his book. It's called The Encyclopedia of Cajun and Creole Cuisine. And you can see him on the PBS show, A Taste of Louisiana. This episode was produced by Aaron Mason and myself. Music by Prom Queen. And if you like this podcast, it would be so, so helpful if you could give us a rating, a review, maybe just subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Rachel Bell, and until next time, this is your last meal. Hold up. 